From the EPR Creations Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you Unconquered with Doc Staples. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by EPR Creations, by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, by Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and by my newest advertising partner, Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage. As always, information's in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast with Doc Staples. Okay, so now that we've gotten a little bit of distance from the events of Saturday night, it's time to discuss a little bit more, uh, more dispassionately what, uh, what remains for Florida State. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the North Alabama game, uh, aside from saying that we, you know, got got to see Rodemaker and Brock Glenn and sort of what the future holds there for the next few days or for the next few weeks at least. And uh, yeah, we're we really don't have a good sense of what this Florida State offense is going to be just yet with a different uh, different quarterback taking snaps now been thinking about this now for a few days and looking through some of this some of this stuff and really I think it I think the difference comes down to a couple things number one the is the obvious right Jordan Travis the the thing that Jordan Travis gave Florida State as much as anything in terms of big game Jordan Travis is obviously with his legs with his ability to uh, make plays off script when when things break down, uh, when you know there's pressure, when, when teams start to to stop the running game, these sorts of things. That his ability to use those legs and Florida State's ability to call uh, quarterback runs and that sort of thing as a as a trump card essentially to say, okay, well you're taking all this away, you're crashing down. Well, here you go. We're gonna play. We're gonna play this card finally, and now all of a sudden. Good, you know, it's 21 points against a good Duke defense in one quarter. That's the thing that, as much as anything, you lose. But to me, the thing that that more than anything else, and I think this is maybe at least as important as what Jordan Travis can do with his legs, is the fact that you're talking about a guy that does not turn the ball over. I mean, think about this. On the season... 20 touchdowns, two picks. One of those was a deflected ball. Eight total turnover-worthy plays in this season for Jordan Travis. That's, wow. Yeah, eight turnover-worthy plays in essentially 10 and a half games. That's, uh, that right there is as much as anything the reason that Florida State has been able to stay undefeated this year and has a now 17-game win streak. They haven't turned the ball over. And when you don't turn the ball over and you've got a lot of talent, you're at least going to be in every game and you're probably going to win most of those games. That, to me, is, looking forward, the thing that I think you, you've got to be most concerned about is... Travis had as a as a veteran as a 
as a quarterback become a and this I say this not as a as a slam but as a huge compliment a tremendous game manager and what he was was a game manager what he became was a game manager with the plus one of being a weapon in the quarterback run game now you're not going to get the weapon in the quarterback run game from any of the quarterbacks on on FSU's roster and where that matters most is in games against the best defenses so you get to the playoff and basically not having that card to play that that's where that that kills you against playoff level competition but the other side of it the turnover part is the part that really matters more against the other two teams that you're playing so florida and louisville are you going to be able to get out of those games with no turnovers from your quarterback. And in my view, Florida State is able to go out there and avoid turning the football over at the quarterback position against both Florida and Louisville. They'll win both games by double digits. But that's basically the game from here until the playoff. And yes, if Florida State goes unbeaten this season, they are not getting jumped. They are not going to wind up on the outside of the playoff. It's just not going to happen. An undefeated conference champion is going to be there. There's only four possible undefeated conference champions. And that's, that's how it's going to be. Those, those four teams, if you have all, if you have four undefeated conference champs, there's your playoff. If one of those conference champs, one of those undefeated teams loses then the other undefeated conference champs will be the first ones in the playoff, and then it'll be a matter of figuring out which of the which of the one-loss teams takes the fourth spot. That's how it's going to be. Don't let any of the discussion that's out there just trying to troll people, basically r- amping up the the controversy, fool you. It's just this is the, this is how it is every time. So, yeah, Florida State is in a win and they're in situation, and the key to me to winning themselves in is going to be not turning the football over. Cause here's the thing. I've gotten a lot of texts and a lot of, uh, a lot of things over the last couple days, obviously asking, you know, Hey, you know, is there, is there still hope? I mean, how are things going to go? And ultimately, I mean, my, my, my thought is this, the freaks are still out there. You still have, the matchup nightmares out there in Keon and Johnny and, you know, Jaheim Bell is a, is a matchup problem. Morlock, pretty, pretty good matchup problem. You still have Benson. Who's going to get healthier. You still have one of the best pass defenses in the country. And you're about to add Daryl Jackson to that. If they can make it to the playoff. Yeah. That's a team that's still got a shot against anybody. That's a team where, you know, I don't think there's any question that, that Tate Rodemaker and or Brock Glenn are in position to where they can make the throws to get those guys down the field. This is not a situation where you don't have a guy who can actually make the throws to get it to those freaks. So as long as you've got those freaks who can get open and win against coverage and, and, and make contested catches and make big plays when they do, 
you've got a chance to score the points to win just about anybody, to beat just about anybody, win just about any game. But the problem, the thing that, that can derail you is something getting in the way as the ball is, is, is headed towards those guys. Or, you know, a younger quarterback, a less experienced quarterback getting fooled and throwing into coverage and, and you end up turning the ball over and giving up field position so that your defense is playing from, you know, bad leverage. That's how you lose at this stage. But the, the truth is, I mean, Jordan Travis did not run the ball a lot this year. I mean, he was banged up a good portion of the year. I mean, he, he, he gutted out this season. And when you look at his numbers on the season and how the season actually went, how you got to remember, Jordan Travis was banged up most of the season. I mean, he gutted out this season played through some pain up until uh, the awful events of, of Saturday. But he only had 46 carries this season. He had nine carries against Duke. Other, other than that, the, he had the most carries he had all season, six against LSU and then five a couple times. You know, he didn't do a ton using those legs to this stage in the season. So the thing is, against the top teams that you're going to play in the playoff and with him getting a little healthier, then you would have been able to play that, that card finally at that point. But all that, what this means is in terms of what you've actually seen on the field this year, when Tate Rodemaker walks out there, you're really replacing Jordan Travis, the passer with Tate Rodemaker, the passer based on what we've seen on the field this year. Now, of course, you know, with Jordan Travis, that that extra dimension is there to be played if it's needed. And that's, you know, that part kind of disappears. But in terms of what teams have actually faced this year and what Travis has done, the real question is how far behind are Tate and Glenn as passers? And honestly, I think they could, they could, because both of them are good throwers, they could wind up being pretty comparable to what Travis has been able to do as a passer this season. And that's against anybody. The The question there, again, is can they avoid the turnover-worthy play? Can they also avoid taking sacks? And getting rid of the football to make sure that they're playing smart football. Now, the other thing that 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 has to come into play here too, is that I do think defenses treat Travis a little bit differently because of the threat of the run. And so it will be interesting to see what defenses do as they play against these less experienced and less mobile, less explosive quarterbacks, particularly again, Tate is going to be the guy unless, unless he falters. And so far, I mean, if he plays like he has in, in duty the last two years when he's been called on, you, you don't expect that. So this is Tate's show. But question for me is, are you going to see different defensive approaches as teams are more willing to come after these guys? Because with, with Travis, you knew you, you come after him and he might just do something with his legs to cause real problems. And then you've got serious problems on the back end. Now, the flip side of that is... If I'm a coordinator and I know that 
Wilson and and Keon Coleman are out there and Jaheim Bell is out there, I might try to cover against these younger guys. I might try to drop more guys in coverage and make them make the throws, make them read more coverage and make the throws. Because what I don't want to do is give them easy decisions to say, oh, well, they're bringing the house. Well, I got my one-on-one out there to, to key on. I just got to get it out quick and let him make a play. Well, in that case, Keon just might be better than my guy that's one-on-one with him, and I just made it easy for the quarterback. So, yeah, you might say, well, they might you know, bring more guys than, than they would have against Travis. I think what you're actually going to see is more coverage, and you're going to see more sophisticated looks. You're going to see teams trying to confuse and, and play coverage than what, they, what you got against Travis, who really was almost never confused. Think... The thing that people really, I think, underappreciated about Travis is how smart that guy is and how quickly he processes and how consistently he threw the ball to the right spots and right spots on on time. You know, he had some trouble with accuracy this year in, in terms of the short and intermediate stuff at times, but in terms of where he was supposed to go with it, the consistency there is outstanding. Question is, can you get that from these young guys? Can Tate, and then, you know, if he's on, if he's ever on the field, Brock Glenn, consistently avoid making mistakes as teams, let's say, drop seven or eight, and it's a different seven or eight in a different spot than what it looked like it would be on the pre-snap. Can they adjust on the fly with, you know, whatever rush is coming and smoothly get that ball out? That's the question. And get it out to the right spot. If they can then this Florida State team can still beat anybody. They still could beat anybody I've seen play this year. If they do that, you know, I'd favor them. I'd still favor them over, over Washington. Might favor them over Ohio State, who, you know, I think is, you know, they, they've got some limitations that previous Ohio State teams haven't had. Not favoring them on Georgia, but that's a whole different animal. So, yeah, this becomes really interesting at that point. Now, it's not the kind of interesting anybody wanted. But I do think there's a chance that Florida State puts themselves in good position here with these guys. And so much of that is incumbent now on Mike Norvell, on Atkins, on uh, quarterback coach Tony Tokars to make sure that these guys are in comfortable concepts that give them simple throws, make the decisions as easy as possible. And and you want to idiot proof it. Not that these guys are idiots, but you want to make sure that they aren't going to be fooled by some exotic stuff. And some of that you can do by, by formation. Some of it you can do by tempo. Some of it you can do by, you know, RPOing and different things like that to where you simplify what these guys are going to face on the defensive side to make things easier for them. And that brings me then to a question from Merrill Coleman over on Patreon. He asks uh, two questions. One, do you think the loss of McDonald and Gibbons are part of the reason the run game is struggling and hindsight as Roddick is not quite as good as we projected? So I'll answer that one first. Uh, so I don't think McDonald, the loss of McDonald is a, is a significant reason the run game is struggling, but I do think the loss of uh 
Gibbons is significant. I think hindsight is definitely that Gibbons was a more solid player than Roddick has been. I don't think there's any question about that. I also think that the that the offensive line around Roddick has been more banged up. I don't think anybody really, or I think very few people out there really appreciate or know how banged up Florida State has been on the offensive line. I mean, those guys are out there on duct tape and bailing wire right now. And that is a significant factor in this in this process. Uh, I do think that having some of the injuries that they've had at at ta- at tackle have made a major difference. So the combination of not having Gibbons out there and then just some of the some of the injuries at tackle, particularly at left tackle, have been have been a significant factor. And then as far as number two. He asks, do you think Norvell will bring out more Wildcat like he did at Memphis these next two weeks to limit pressure on Tate? So I wouldn't be surprised to see it in the goal line or short yardage contexts. That That's something I wouldn't be surprised to see. But they have to really know that they that they have a guy that, that can take those snaps and make good decisions in those cases. What I do think, and, and I've gotten this question from several people in terms of, you know, what kind of changes are we going to see from Mike Norvell going into the Florida and the uh, Louisville games and other things? What are we going to see? Well, I think number one is, uh, as I said before, you're going to see you're going to see things that are going to that are going to simplify the looks for uh, for the quarterbacks. So you're going to see, for example, some of the the formations that are going to have the two big wide receivers out wide, both of the tight ends in tight and trying to get everybody into the box as much as possible against the run so that you get one-on-ones for those wide receivers and you can RPO based off one player. What you want to do there is you're going to, you're trying to make it so that there's fewer opportunities for the defense to be able to line up a guy, say on an apex position between where the outside wide receiver is or between a slot receiver in the, in the line of scrimmage who could do one of two things. And there also be another player who could potentially drop into those areas. You're wanting to basically force defenses to telegraph where they're going to be. And you want uh, to, to simplify things that way. Another thing that you can do is again, you can use tempo in certain cases to prevent defenses from being able to do exotic stuff. So I would not be surprised to see Florida State go higher tempo than they have at different points this season against Florida and against Louisville. You go high tempo and you you basically force teams to keep to base calls a lot more and then you give your your quarterback more opportunities against less exotic looks as a consistent uh as a consistent thing. So those are a couple things that I do think we'll probably see a little bit uh so far is is basically trying to use a combination of tempo and some formations that essentially simplify things for the quarterback's eyes. Uh, I also think we're going to see more sort of seam shots and, and sort of that intermediate, not deep, but that intermediate downfield passing. That's, a, that's been a strength of, of Tate Rodemaker so far is kind of hitting those seams, those glance routes, those sorts of things really, give him an opportunity to push the ball down the field. And I think we're going to see a lot of uh, a lot more sort of shots that are not, not exactly the kind of, of deep plays that, that they have for Jordan Travis, but there's a, a different set of combat of, uh, of route combinations and concepts 
that they've used for Tate for, you know, in most of his appearances, every time he's come out, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, power read and, and, and the RPO with a, uh, with a glance route attached to that a lot more of those sorts of things and a little bit less of, you know, read option type stuff than what you'll, you'll typically see with, with Jordan though. Again, you know, Tate's a good athlete. He actually, in terms of straight speed, runs well enough to be more of a threat than, than people appreciate. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him run for, you know, 30, 40 yards against Florida in this first week, uh, especially given their, their, uh, their linebacker situation. So, so yeah, I mean, this is, this is going to be interesting, but again, the, the key here is you want to maximize what you're able to do with the freaks, with the supporting cast to make it easier for, for the guy that has less experience. Uh, and that also that also comes with you know specific stuff in the running game. I mean, the more they can get the running game off the ground, the more that helps the young quarterback. Now, one thing that Mike Norvell does understand, and I respect any quarter any coach who does this right. One thing Mike Norvell does understand is that when you have a younger quarterback, throwing it more on first down is advantageous. When you have an inexperienced guy, when you have a guy who's uh, who maybe you don't trust as much as, as the veteran, you throw it more on first down and less on second and third and long second and third and long is where you, where, where the, the real problems lie, where you're more likely to turn it over, where quarterbacks have a much more difficult job in play. And so what I think you are going to see is maybe an uptick overall in throwing the football on first down, uh, whether that be RPOs that are called and, 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 in favorable situations for the quarterback to actually choose the, uh, the, the RPO tag, uh, or just first down throws, you know, play action, just general drop back type game. I think you're going to see more, more throws on first down with Tate Rodemaker than you did with, with Jordan Travis, a few percentage points more. Uh, and then you'll see, I think more conservative calls on second and third and long. You know, you get to second and 10, and I think there'll be 70% run. Uh, you get to third and 10 and or longer, third and 15, and they're running the football. They're running a screen, pl- a screen pass. They're doing whatever they can to keep it as conservative as possible. The goal is to end every drive with a kick. Because again, their defense has been pretty good. And when your defense is playing as well as Florida State's has been, then you just go ahead and and you say, okay, well, we'll play field position if we don't have leverage. And, and I think that's the thing. I mean, the, the difference that an elite quarterback makes, the primary difference that an elite quarterback makes is essentially that you feel like you are going to get more of the second and third and long situations go in the offense's favor. You know, when you have a top level quarterback, you get into third and eight and you fully expect to get it <laughs> and you're not worried about throwing an interception. When you don't have a top quarterback and you get into third and eight, third and nine, you, you, you start to feel nervous that something bad's about to happen. <laughs> and, you know, some of you remember this from recent years. I mean, when, when Jameis Winston was at Florida State and FSU was in third and nine, it's like, well, you know, they'll, they'll get a first down, they'll throw it, and he's, he's going he's gonna to complete it. And then you'd expect it to kind of be a completion or an, or, or, or an incompletion. And then you get to you know, some of the guys down the line, some of the, when, when Florida state was really struggling and they'd get to third and nine and you're just like, Oh, please don't throw an interception. Please don't throw an interception. Please don't fumble. Please don't do anything stupid. So 
you know, what you want to do as a coach when you have a less experienced player, a guy who hasn't seen as much, hasn't, uh, hasn't earned the trust as much as a guy who's been around for a long time is you throw it more on first down when it's advantageous for the offense, because the, the defense on a neutral down has to, has to start by stopping the run first, you throw it more then. And then when you get into unfavorable positions, you just protect your guy by not throwing it in those situations. You don't throw downfield when they're dropping eight. Now, if you've got Jordan Travis, you trust him not to make bad decisions when they drop eight. You trust him not to throw it into coverage and, and you know, throw it into triple coverage and, and wind up getting a tipped ball for an interception that, that kills your team. You trust him not to do that because he's earned his way into that trust. You know, when you have that, you know, first round pick type guy and, and Jordan's not a first round pick type guy, but when you have a, a Drake May or somebody like that and you're playing against a team that drops eight and it's third and nine, you go, OK, well, you know, I'll roll the dice. I'll let him I'll let him throw. And if, you know, if there's a, a place where he could fit the ball in, he's going to find it. And odds are he's not going to throw a pick. If you've got a young guy or a guy that's not got a bunch of experience that isn't a true, you know, first round guarantee guy. You know, third and nine. All right, let's run the draw or, you know, wide receiver tunnel screen or, you know, tight end slip screen. Any number of things that you're trying to do just to give it the easiest possible thing with the with the minimal possibility of a bad outcome. That's where I think you're going to see the biggest difference for for Florida State. Now, they were already pretty conservative, you know, in how in their approach, even with Jordan. And, and that's knowing that he didn't turn the football over. They were already a pretty conservative offense in that respect. I mean, they just, they, they didn't want to put the ball in danger. They knew, they know that when you've got the freaks that can change the scoreboard, you just have to not do anything stupid and then give those guys chances to make plays. Eventually, they're going to likely make some plays and you get big plays, you change the scoreboard and you've got a chance to win the football game. That's the approach they're going to keep taking. So that's what I'd expect. All right, so that that takes us, we're what, uh, 26 minutes in now. 26 plus minutes in. I'm going to go ahead and wrap there. That will, uh, that'll do for that. And then put the, uh, put the Florida preview out next. And, uh, I'll talk to y'all soon with that, but, uh, just looking forward to where things are. That's, that's my take on, on what happens with this quarterback shift, what we're likely to see next episode. We'll talk about how they'll match up with a Florida team that has been reeling. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts, post and repost episodes on social media, and tell a friend. And if you haven't left a review in a while, do it again. It really does help the visibility of the podcast. Before we go, I'd also like to thank my advertising partners once more. That's EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage, serving Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. You can also stop by the Unconquered shop at unconqueredpodcast.com where you can buy stickers, pins, magnets, t-shirts, and other swag. And thanks also to all those supporters over at Patreon where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast. I am especially grateful 
to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Neil Cook, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Dave Blair, Hector Cartagena, Jack Horton, Jimmy Van, Jonathan Kennedy, Keith Cheney, Lee Caswell, Tyler Kashishke, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. You all are far more generous than I deserve. I'm really grateful. Thanks to you all. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I made this. <laughs>